0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania.
1: Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And I'm back this week to tell you... um... Um, the rest of the Michael Rosenbloom story hopefully just one more part we'll see where we get to but I am uh, happy to be back after that battle with COVID that I obviously kicked its ass so clearly go me <laughs> But just to give you, and even kind of myself, just a quick rundown of the Michael Rosenblum story that we started two weeks ago, he was the 25-year-old that was into drugs and kind of not in a great place in his life. He was living with his parents at the time of his disappearance. When he disappeared, he was driving his then-girlfriend's car, which he left his girlfriend and her three-year-old daughter at a gas station. When he drove away with her car, and then the car was found abandoned later that day, but he was not found with it. They did find part of his skull about a decade later, but that was found pretty close to where the car was found. So interesting that it that, that long, long to find even just a piece of him. And unfortunately, that was the only piece that's ever been found. Crazy. Part two today, we're going to talk about pretty much the main theory. that circulates about this case and the one that Michael Rosenblum's father Maurice stood by until his death in 2008 so let's get into it there is a lot to this the theory is that the police knew exactly how and when Michael had died but that they had been covering it up the entire time. And that uh, led to a lot of lawsuits, like a a lot of lawsuits. Believable. I, I Believable. Can't, can't stress this enough. A lot of lawsuits. You'll see. So there was um, like
0: one lawsuit total? Just one, That's what you're just telling me. Not okay. even. Right, cool.
1: Yeah, not even. Got just it. one lawsuit. <laughs> um, so in the interest of keeping this episode to a normal length, I'm just going to kind of like lay it out as a timeline, kind of like a high-flying overview. I really encourage you to kind of dive into this case on your own, just because there's so many like little details out there that we just don't have time to go over every single one and go into every single avenue that this theory could lead to Um, because it's like a 30 to 45 minute podcast. So we do what we can, but here we go. (laughs) (laughs) We're
0: already doing two episodes, so yeah.
1: (laughs) So let's start from the very beginning of Michael's disappearance, where Michael had been driving his then-girlfriend Lisa's Pontiac Sunbird. When local police found the car abandoned in the middle of River Road, they had it towed to a private garage. So Lisa was not notified that her car had been impounded until 90 days later, so three months. What in the world? Yes. And you know... Who else did not know that the car had been found? Literally everyone else. So even the missing persons bureau of the Pittsburgh Police Department was actively looking for the car during this time. For three months. Why? 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 So we're starting that off with a bang. Like, okay. Communication, people. Communication. Communication, yes. So... You know, after that debacle, not much else happened in the first couple of years. Um, And the investigation was really set back significantly by this error, obviously, because they talk about the first 48 hours.
0: I was (laughs) just going to say the same thing. It does not mean the first 48 weeks. It does actually mean hours.
1: Yeah. And they set it back three months. Wow. So so we're actually going to kind of start this timeline after that in June of 1982, when Maurice Rosenblum had had enough of what he perceived to be uh, shoddy work and possibly even a blatant cover up by local investigators. So he asked the attorney general's office to investigate the Baldwin Borough Police Department, Specifically naming officers Weber and Lombardi who had found the car initially. So, in Maurice's letter to the office, uh, he called the department, quote, corrupt, inept, and uncooperative, unquote. Um, so, that's he's not mincing words. Yeah. No,
0: he's he's pretty direct there.
1: (laughs) Uh, He cited numerous discrepancies in conversations about the case with borough officers, and they weren't really laid out in any of the articles I read. But, Mm. I mean, we'll obviously go over a couple of them, but there seemed to be just piles of them. (laughs) The police chief at this time was Aldo Gaburi, and he said that he was crushed by the allegations and wouldn't dismiss the idea that he considered taking actions against Maurice. So basically, you know, a counter lawsuit for defamation. Right,
0: right.
1: He said in an interview that the uh, police department had handled the incident the best we could, and he also said that that the discrepancies noted by Maurice in the letter to the attorney general's office were nothing more than mistakes like when locating or not locating the owner of the vehicle that michael had been driving so the police department apparently had no idea who michael even was at the point where they found the car so i guess maybe an apb had not gone out right
0: um it still seems like that would get listed somewhere at least as an abandoned vehicle or something. But then again, I guess you can't do that for every single abandoned vehicle you find.
1: Right. So but it,
0: it seems like they should be able to pull the VIN, find the number or the owner and then get in contact with them. So it still seems weird that it sat for so long. Yes. But I can I can understand why maybe it wasn't reported immediately cuz they didn't realize Oh, this is tied to a missing persons case.
1: Yes. So you can definitely say that there could have been just kind of a um, like that gap in time where they didn't really have all the information they needed. But right. I will continue. (laughs) So they had no idea who Michael was when they found the car. Gaburi explained that they tried to send a letter to the owner of the vehicle, who we now know to be Lisa, when she wouldn't answer their repeated phone calls. And like I said, she had checked herself into that rehab Mm -hmm. clinic, but they had apparently been calling her mother's house um, or someone who should have answered the phone. But no one answered their phone calls is what they said. So they sent this letter, but there was a clerical error made by Officer Lombardi, who was one of the officers that found the car. The letter was not certified as required by PA law, Ah, to which Chief Gaburi says... We just goofed. Okay. Uh, now, Officer Lombardi died of a heart attack shortly after Michael went missing, so he could never really be investigated. And, I mean, nothing really says that anything shady was going on with Lombardi in particular, okay. he was named in Maurice's complaints, but he just he was one of the officers right. that found the car. And we'll see he was kind of maybe thrown under the bus a little bit. So there's really nothing pointing. I don't want him to seem suspicious and sure, speaking sure. ill of the dead and everything because he can't defend himself. But right. his name is listed in the complaint. Maurice vehemently refuted this. That it was just kind of a goof and that they did send the letter. It just wasn't certified. He says that the police never even attempted to reach Lisa for the three entire months. He said he can prove it because he had Lisa's phone tapped and had her mailbox watched every day. And Is I, that can't, legal? I can't find anywhere to say if Lisa consented to this. But if not, yikes. And... No, yeah. don't think it's legal. I know stalking laws, especially in the 80s, I'm sure were very like lax or non-existent. Right. But yikes. Oof. And for much of this, I've like really admired Michael's dad for like pushing onward. But then yeah. there's just a couple times where you turn a corner and you're like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Listen. Maybe, maybe don't do that. Yikes. Um, But he says he's like, look, I've been watching all the communication to Lisa because he thought that maybe Michael would reach out to her. So that's why he was watching her. Not that it makes it better. He wasn't. Out to get the police he was just trying to there were good intentions but yes. it still looks sure shady in hindsight especially because when we talked about lisa in the last episode she was kind of like we didn't really date for that long we weren't serious she just wanted right. to get away from it all and then his dad is like tapping her shit. so yeah 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 so lisa had no idea that her car had been located until she received a bill in the mail for $400 for storing and towing fees from a Baldwin garage. So it wasn't like they got in touch with her. Eventually, she got a bill from this private garage where the car was. And she was like, wow. uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't put this here. Yeah, exactly. So before that turned up, the Rosenblooms and Lisa had assumed Michael had driven somewhere far away. Uh, He had friends in both Florida and California. And Maurice had flown to both of those locations to look for him. Wow. So wasted time, energy, resources, Right. The head of the missing persons bureau of the Pittsburgh Police Department at the time was Captain Teresa Rocco. Um, and during this time, she had told Michael's parents that since they hadn't found the car yet, there was a good chance that he was still alive. Oof. Which, yeah, reading the articles where she is like talking about this, it's heartbreaking because she's like, I told these parents that yeah. their son is probably still alive for 3 months she was feeding that hope just because she had no idea right and
0: it uh, wasn't intentional false hope it right.
1: just man yeah now i'm assuming that if a private garage could get a hold of lisa by mail then the police department should have been able to as well <laughs> That's just a valid
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. Just
1: me. And Captain Teresa Rocco, who I just mentioned, was so diplomatic in saying not knowing about the car did make it a little tough. Like (laughs) like she was maybe in the interview that she happened to be giving trying to keep the peace and not come off too strong. Right? She's like, it made it a little tough, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You think? So when they did find out about the car and when... And when they found out when and where it had actually been found three months prior, Maurice borrowed a freaking helicopter from a client because, remember, he worked in insurance. Mm -hmm. So he borrowed a helicopter and searched by air himself. My gosh. And local investigators did at least what they call a thorough search of the ground below. Sure. So it's not like he was searching by himself, but he didn't really trust them to be as thorough as they said they were. Right. Two men from the attorney general's office spent three days looking through Gaburi's files about the case. And this was due to the complaint that Maurice filed. Mm-hmm. Sources involved in this investigation said that the agents were looking for evidence to support the idea that Weber and Lombardi, the two officers, actually saw Michael Rosenblum before he either fled or died or was killed, whatever they're trying to say. Um They're trying to say that they actually saw him when they found the car and something happened or they they didn't report it. Something fishy going on there.
0: Is there and I'm sure I'll get into this, but like, is there weight to that or is
1: it just kind of like someone threw it out? There's not too much evidence that I can see. But there was. eh, We'll get into it. (laughs) We'll get into it. But. He was also trying to say that the car that Michael was driving was actually found closer to the city on River Road than initially reported. So that where they found the car was reported as a little bit further away Mm. than what it actually was. Marie said that if Michael had been high at this time, he could have easily lapsed into a coma or injured himself. So he's saying, you know, maybe that's what happened and the police wanted to cover it up ah um and he kind of i feel like as time goes on kind of moves away from the theory that whatever happened to michael was directly drug related okay but we'll see that then um but what he's saying is that something happened to michael the police covered it up by not sharing this information So Gaburi told the Pittsburgh Press in June 1982, we are waiting to see what happens, but one way or another, I want this thing to stop. And by that, he means like the investigation by the attorney general's office and Maurice being a pain in his butt. He just seemed very, I guess it would be really hard not to have your ego involved in this. Of course. Yeah. So of course he's going to kind of recoil and be like, stop attacking me. But the focus really never seems to be on Michael. It's just like, stop attacking us. We're doing what we can, but they just don't seem to care that much.
0: And like you're you're slowing down the process of us doing what we can by filing all of these.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, like in Gaburi's responses, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. There's I guess. As I'm, like, going through and researching this, there just seems to be a ton of egos involved. So that's kind of the lens fair. that I'm seeing this through. Like, so many lawsuits, so many egos, so...
0: Yeah, fair, fair.
1: Don't worry, you'll see. Oh, great. Um, unclear as to when the police realized that this was Michael's car. Um, I believe it came up on a list of cars reported stolen eventually. But the connection was not made for quite a while. And... Like I had said, Lisa wasn't informed and neither were the Rosenblooms until she right. got a bill. And that was 90 days later. So I'm just unclear of when the police officially made that connection or if they right. didn't until she was like, hey, you guys impounded my car that this missing man was driving like um. I'm not sure. Not a good look either way. Yeah. And then Maurice also in that complaint accused the police department of manufacturing documents. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Meanwhile, while all this is going on, Maurice bought space on two billboards near the spot where the car was found asking for information about Michael's whereabouts. And that's that's always crazy to me. People buying space on billboards because it is not cheap. (laughs)
0: Not at all. I mean, it's I was just thinking that as you were saying that it's not that it's a good thing that anybody ever goes missing, but it's kind of good that Maurice had this kind of money that he could fly to California to clear things. He could fly to Florida. He could pay for two billboards. Like if I went missing at 25, my family would be handing out posters and putting them up all over the place. But they wouldn't be able to afford to fly to a bunch of different states and rent billboards. And right, of course, it didn't really pan out super well for Maurice anyway, because obviously, if we're talking about this case, we don't have a resolution. But it's kind of good ish that he at least had money that he was able to spend on trying to get more word out there.
1: Yeah. And it seems too from what I read that he pretty much just like abandoned his job. Like he left everything behind. I mean, he didn't have like a normal 9 to 5 job. Right. But he kind of like, I don't want to say shirked his responsibilities cuz what is more of a responsibility than finding right. your child, but I mean, right. he just let it all go to put all of his energy into finding Michael. I mean, I'm so, not a
0: parent, but like if one of my nephews or my niece went missing, 100% that yeah. I would do the same exact thing. Mhm. So I Absolutely. I can get that to a point.
1: So also during this time police continued to theorize that harm had come to Michael due to drug-related reasons, whether from an overdose, drug dealer feuds, or him harming himself accidentally or on purpose while intoxicated. That's those are just kind of the theories they were going off of.
0: What I don't like about that is and I know Chelsea's usually the one that brings this up and she's not here with us, but if that's the case where's the body yeah like if you're dying of a drug overdose if you're getting into a feud with a drug dealer um if you're hurting yourself when you are inebriated it's not going to be some like well covered death it's you can't be kill like,
1: yourself and then hide your body correct <laughs> Correct. So And you're probably it, not in the frame of mind beforehand to go somewhere super sneaky. So, yeah, right. exactly. I mean,
0: especially if you're high on something or drunk. Yeah. Like, yeah, I...
1: Nothing led I me to like believe, that. now I'm sure, that being on drugs, especially for this long, will alter your mental state. But there was nothing right. that specifically said that he was suicidal or you know, anything like that. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he wasn't, especially in the 80s when it wasn't talked about as much. Sure, But it just didn't seem like that's what had happened yeah like any sort of intentional suicide and of course right. then yes where is the body right so in 1983 the attorney general's office ruled that there was no evidence of a police cover up nor could they find any evidence of foul play in Michael's disappearance a spokesperson for the office said that a letter had in fact been mailed to Lisa notifying her about the car but that it had it had gotten lost in the mail that's convenient yeah. So, And at one point, Maurice said that Gaburi, the police chief, told him that Lisa's mailbox had been set on fire by vandals. And that's what had delayed the letter. But Maurice, Wasn't
0: Maurice watching her mailbox. Yeah. Like, wouldn't but, he know? if?
1: Yeah. And he also checked with police and the postal authority local to Lisa. He does not leave any stone unturned. You're not going to bullshit <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Um, he found that no mailbox fires had been reported.
0: Okay. <laughs> I had That's wrote- a weird story to make up.
1: Yes. Um, Why not just stick with it got lost? Yeah, Why- I have a huge problem <laughs> with this in, in general. Like, was this... Somehow like misconstrued and reporting. Is this something Maurice could have possibly made up to make the police look bad? Is the police Uh, chief really that dumb? Because I mean, because you can check these things. And he obviously did. I wrote this man is not messing around. He wants receipts. So, yeah, so I have a lot of problems with this. In general, I mean, and
0: it it seems weird that Maurice would make that up about the police department because he is turning over every stone he can. Yeah. So why would he throw a huge lie in there that could easily be proven?
1: Right. Yeah. I don't think that was the case yeah. either. It's just such a weird story. It
0: is twisted and turned and doesn't quite make sense.
1: Yeah. So the case continues to grow cold for a few years, and then we will fast forward to 1987. Maurice receives an anonymous letter telling him to contact a specific former police dispatcher about the disappearance of Michael. Now, I'm intentionally being vague with some names because, like, why bring them back up again? Mm -hmm. They've said their piece, and honestly, this story has been, like, told so many times like other podcasts other programs so yeah. and they were never any sort of like suspect or anything so whatever leave them out of it i'm gonna be yes. big
0: <laughs> yes
1: um having said that uh i will tell you that the anonymous letter writer ended up being officer george galovich Uh, Because he's going to come up a lot in my timeline. Okay. Uh, Borough solicitor John Luke begins looking into Maurice's claims of misconduct by the Baldwin Borough Police. And the attorney general's office is once again looking into the matter, which they dismissed four years prior, citing new evidence, which is this letter. Mm. Uh, Maurice writes a letter to the Borough Council asking them to punish Gaburi though he didn't he didn't really care about the punishment i, I really don't think he did he just wanted gaburi to tell him what he thought he was hiding right. he's like any sort of pressure that we can apply to the police chief is going to yield some sort of information right. that that's his thinking Right. And then Marie starts saying that he believes that Michael's body is still in the burrow somewhere within like a mile of where the car was found, but he won't say why. And now this is back in 87. Remember, they didn't find his body for or any part of his body for right. that 12 years, but he he won't say why. I didn't find any more information about That's interesting. that but i do know he was doing his own investigation and as frustrated as he was with the police he also wasn't about to like splash things across the papers that would hurt right. the investigation so right. there's definitely some missing pieces here that we just don't know sure So desk clerk Fred Capelli claimed that he had falsified a letter supposedly notifying Lisa that her car had been impounded. He also claimed that he did this under the direction of police chief Aldo Gaburi. Capelli testified that officer Lombardi, now deceased, had refused to sign the letter because it had been backdated. Gaburi then forced Capelli to forge Lombardi's signature. Then he told Capelli to file it, but don't mail it. So basically, this is a faked copy of a letter to make it seem like it was just an extra copy for the office to file. So like a like a carbon copy of this letter that had been sent, um, because when pressure started to be applied to the, the department, Gaburi was like, oh, crap, we never sent this letter so he had one created, backdated, and Officer Lombardi, who had found the car, would not sign it. Yeah. So what they're saying, because this has never, it's been legally resolved, but I don't know if it's like really actually been resolved. But what they're right. alleging is that Gaburi had this clerk fake Lombardi signature on it. Okay. So that it was backdated, it was signed, it was filed. It looks like this letter was sent, even when it wasn't. Got you. So Capelli, the clerk's account, was corroborated by the radio dispatcher that Officer Galovich had told Maurice to contact in his anonymous letter. The dispatcher told the civil service panel that this was only done after the borough police were being criticized and investigated. So like I said, that's why this fake copy was created. Right. To It's not good looks. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> So, in October of 1987, Baldwin Borough Chief of Police Aldo Gaburi was fired. The council ordered the acting chief to secure all records pertaining to Michael's disappearance. Council had voted five to two to dismiss Gaburi. The charges were neglect of duty and conduct unbecoming of an officer. No criminal charges were filed. And John Luke, who was the um, solicitor, thank you. John Luke concluded that there was no link between the Baldwin Police Department and Michael's disappearance. So no, not any kind of like criminal link um, that they did something, covered something up. So Gaburi then filed an appeal to be reinstated. Which excited Maurice because he said he looked forward to any time Gaburi would have to speak under oath. So if he's going to have like a hearing to be reinstated, Maurice is like, yes, this is when the information comes out. This is what I've been waiting for. Right. Exactly. And everyone kind of thought that that this hearing was going to lead to new evidence. And you saw that in a lot of articles leading up to it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, upcoming hearing may lead to new leads. And Michael's disappearance. So the council investigation found that there had been a warrant out for Michael's arrest issued in July 1980 relating to a drugstore robbery that had occurred three months prior. So three months prior to July when Michael would have already been missing. So the arrest warrant approved by Gaburi was quickly voided after Captain Teresa Rocco from the Missing Persons Bureau Mm -hmm. requested that it be voided. So the details of this get a little muddy, but basically the drugstore clerk who was present for the robbery picked Michael out of a lineup of photos as the robber. But he may have seen Michael's photo prior to this, and that's why he recognized them. It's it's weird. I heard some places that he was actually only showed shown Michael's photo. So when you show someone one photo and you're like, was this the guy? It's not a lineup and it's not legit. Yeah. Um, But I saw other places where it said he was shown a lineup, but he but the store clerk was shown a photo of Michael by Captain Teresa Rocco prior to this. So I'm it's very muddy. And I'm not sure it's yeah. just enough to like add to the list of actions taken by Baldwin police that raises eyebrows.
0: When well, I'm curious why Michael's photo would have been put in a lineup regardless, like just because he was missing in the area and they thought maybe like for every robbery, did they show people Michael's picture?
1: I guess maybe if he would have matched the description.
0: OK, that's if fair. they
1: would have been given an initial description by the store True. clerk. Yeah. And then think, oh, Michael fits that, so let's put him right. in a lineup. But I don't okay, know the details, sense. and it was so such a quick blip, like there was an arrest warrant and then it was voided. Mm-hmm. So just very strange, weird. Another former dispatcher testified that some police records relating to the incident with the car now had notes on them that he did not write, and that that was highly unusual. So I guess this dispatcher had taken some notes um about when the car was found filed it away but now i guess the notes were kind of pooled as sort of evidence in this hearing right and the writing on them was gaburri's so like the notes on Hmm. them weren't anything earth-shattering it was just strange that the chief of police would go back and write on them after they'd been filed by another officer or dispatcher right like what's going on there so yeah it's like these muddy weird things and i don't totally understand like the nitty-gritty of how the office works and things like that chain of command especially in the 80s yeah exactly so I have these kind of like vague things, but it's just these things piling up that just don't seem right. I mean, you think if this happened
0: in 2022, everything is probably electronic. You would be able to see when someone logged in to add a note. You'd be able to see. I mean, even like the system that we use for the school I teach at, if you add a note about a student in their profile, it shows you who did it and when. So like I could imagine something with the police department would be even more high tech than teachers adding notes about students. So you would hope, (laughs) you know, you don't know, though. (laughs)
1: No, you don't. (laughs) Backed into a corner, Gaburi kind of threw his department under the bus and said they did not follow proper protocol after the car was discovered. The council ultimately decided that they did not believe Capelli's testimony, and he was the original clerk that was like, Gaburi had me falsify this letter. Right. Um, so the council decided they didn't believe him, so, and that there were discrepancies with previous statements he had been given. So Gaburi was cleared of charges and reinstated in January of 1988. And when he was introduced at the county's reorganization meeting, he got a standing ovation. So just to kind of give you the kind of environment it was, I mean, the town was definitely or the borough was definitely backing uh, police chief Gaburi. Right. So, um... Just an interesting aside though, shortly after this, when he was reinstated, he suspended a crossing guard for allegedly abandoning her post, but the crossing guard claimed he did so because of her ties to a council member that had voted originally to dismiss him. And I guess this crossing guard got a whole bunch of signatures from parents that like walked their kids or like saw her... Mm -hmm. like on her rue or at her street corner that sounds terrible right um but yeah she got (laughs) all these signatures of parents in the school district backing her and she's like i hadn't left my post so sketchy and that was just a blip i don't know anything about it so that's just interesting, interesting, all right, so the following is a very quick overview of what happened in the years the after apartment, because my God, they were just a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say um, but it's important to get an idea of what was going on while Maurice was desperately trying to find out what happened to his son so this is the this is what he's working with while he's just right. trying to get attention on Michael, so a month later. After Gaburi was reinstated and everything, in February 1988, Maurice advertised he was offering a $25,000 reward for 90 days. So he had a limit on it i mean that's a lot of money so you want the bang for your buck you want someone to come forward soon right and give you that information we've talked about that before too with putting
0: a limit on rewards just because if you set that twenty five thousand dollars aside for a reward giving it that time limit says okay well then after three months if we don't get anything i can put that money into billboards or Um, You know, adding things to newspapers or mass mailings or whatever. So, I mean, I don't blame him for putting a a limit on it because that money can be better used elsewhere if nobody's going to give any information. And if you're not motivated for twenty five thousand dollars within three months, it's not going to motivate you at any point. So exactly. I think that makes sense.
1: So later that year, in April of 1988, Officer Galovich, who was the anonymous letter writer, was accused of lying under oath about Gaburi and the 1987 hearing. And he was suspended without pay by the mayor. And he was then fired shortly after. So accused of lying, booted out of there. Uh, July of that same year, Officer Galovich's firing is overturned and he is suspended for six months instead. They really like to fire people and then reinstate <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Maurice requests a grand jury investigation at the county level into his son's disappearance in May of 1988, but it is denied. The DA said that uh, there was insufficient evidence for them to have a grand jury Uh, But 4,500 people, including some borough council members, had signed the petition for a grand jury investigation, which is significant. But I guess if you just don't have the evidence, then I mean, for a a a grand jury,
0: you have to have evidence to produce.
1: Yeah. If you just have
0: circumstantial, it's not enough to. Sure. Bring together a grand jury. Yep. Um, All I could think of was the word hearsay. And that's just because I've been following Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And I couldn't think of the actual word other than hearsay. (laughs) Close.
1: (laughs) So thank you. They're a freaking mess. Almost as much of a mess as the Baldwin Borough Police Department. Just about, it (laughs) seems, yeah. Also in 1988, officers Cooley and Mesenchik sued, and they were of the Baldwin police, sued Pittsburgh Magazine for defamation in the story about Michael Rosenblum. Officer Galovich, remember him? Mm -hmm. (laughs) From like, just a couple lines up? Uh, He was interviewed for the piece, and he was named as a defendant. So they're in the same police department, but they're saying that Galovich said some damning things against them. Gotcha. So in 1989, Officer Galovich sued uh, Police Chief Gaburi and the mayor. Uh, Gaburi sued Pittsburgh Magazine as well, just like those other two officers. And for a short time, he had listed Maurice Rosenblum as a defendant, but then removed him. So he did, after all, kind of go after Michael for defamation. Um, Go after Maurice. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, he did go after Maurice for defamation, just kind of underneath the umbrella of this lawsuit against uh, Pittsburgh magazine. But then I don't know if he was it was suggested to him that like, hey, that's not a good look or
0: whatever. (laughs) Right. Maybe don't don't sue the father of the missing Yeah. Person.
1: They're like, "Mm, mm, 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 mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Not a good look. So in September of 1989, Galovich is suspended again, this time for two days, along with another officer who was suspended for four days for getting into a physical altercation outside the district court office. And apparently by physical altercation, they were just like shoving each other which it just sounds there were there wasn't even like punching or wrestling from what i could gather they were like just like shoving each other
0: all i can think of is the scene in gilmore girls where dean and jess start fighting and they're just like literally pushing each other through the house and into the front yard like yeah
1: just like that okay uh and then the next month Officer Galovich is suspended again for allegedly taking records from borough files, so this this guy so he is he
0: one that was let go before and then reinstated?
1: Yes, yes, so he's
0: been let go and reinstated and now suspended multiple times after this, but we're not firing him again. We're just going to keep
1: yeah, suspending. and it's for all different things because the first one was lying under oath, and then it was. If a civilian did these three oh, things, yeah, then they would be in jail. Physical altercation, taking records. Yeah. So I don't know. He, like, and nothing ever said that Galovich was specifically tied to Michael's case. So just to be clear about that, I'm just okay. trying to paint a picture of like the environment of the police sure, force. But sure. nothing said that they were linked. It's just. All this stuff is going on at the same time. In December of 1989, Maurice petitions the court to declare Michael legally dead so he can give Michael's estate to um, Maurice's grandchildren. So basically, Michael's like nieces and nephews. Sure. He's just trying to do the right thing and get some closure. Yeah. Yeah. In nineteen (laughs) ninety, Galovich is suspended again. Something about shooting shooting you're gonna love it. Shooting into a barrel of beer while underage kids were (laughs) drinking nearby. What? This is just devolving into like a a circus, an actual circus. He's like, Hey kids, watch me shoot into this barrel of beer. (laughs) Like if a
0: civilian did this, they would be arrested. Oh,
1: my gosh. Unreal. Wow. So finally, in 1992, that skull fragment was found within Mm -hmm. a mile of where Lisa's car had been found. And remember what Maurice said about his body still being in the burrow? Like, Just kind of gives you chills. Yeah, Um, it was positively identified as Michael's because they had found bone fragments prior to this, but they were found to be animal bones. So this is the first time they're finding a fragment that's actual Michael, actually Michael's.
0: It must be a, a fairly big fragment if they're able to identify it as human and then also identify that it was his. I don't know how all that works, though.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think I didn't write it down, but I think there is something that explained that. Okay. So I'll try to find it, but of course, it is impossible to tell exactly how he died—cause or manner. Right. In 1993, Maurice again offers a twenty-five thousand dollar reward. Um, that's temporary. Unfortunately, none of these obviously are leading to right. tips. In 1995, Officer Galovich was fired for using department computers for personal business.
0: <laughs> so that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I know, right? Like, <laughs> of all the forging things, things shooting beer in a barrel that that all was fine falsifying uh documents lying under oath those things are okay but like he he did some personal business on the work computer so we're gonna get rid of him <laughs>
1: he printed what? and colored ink his, his own <laughs> <laughs> okay in the, in the 90s fair <laughs> yeah honestly even oh today ink's freaking expensive that's very true oh. So unfortunately, there hasn't been any real movement in the case, especially since Maurice Rosenblum passed away in 2008. Um, some of his tactics may have been a little interesting, um, yeah. but no one can say that he didn't advocate for his son every single day. And, you know, I'm sure his mother did, too. It's just his father was just so very vocal about it. I'm sure he was vocal for the both of them. Right. He was the face of it. Yes. I mean, he was he was out there doing it. <laughs> So it is a shame now that he passed away. There's definitely less of a push for Michael. And just to tie up a few loose ends right before we wrap up, um, Maurice never believed that Michael had left on his own. Not for one second. He said he would never have left without his wallet, money, watch, or car. He's like, however bad things were at home or however mad he was at us, he would not leave without that stuff. So he just didn't never believed it. Um, The medical professionals that had attempted to treat Michael at the hospital the morning of February 14th, 1980, um, described him as lucid. So, I mean, when his father sued to get those that information about when they saw Michael, Mm -hmm. there wasn't much that was useful. But knowing that he was lucid and not that he couldn't have, you know, done drugs In the car again before he went missing. But at that point, he was as with it as I guess he could be. So. Right. It's just interesting to note. That Dr. James, who had illegally prescribed drugs to Michael in Jersey, was officially Mm -hmm. cleared of charges regarding his addiction, says an article from October of 1981. Mm -hmm. Though he did voluntarily surrender his medical license when faced with the investigation, but he was... Cleared of those charges brought against him by Maurice. um, And there was nothing that I saw that could tie him to Michael's disappearance or anything like that. Seemed like his judgment just really wasn't there, but um, not necessarily in a malicious way. Right. So I really couldn't find any information about where to call specifically if you have information about Michael. But you can always call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-4PA-TIPS, and you can go online and do that as well, and it's always anonymous. Um, There's always... I forget what the actual cash reward is technically right now for this case, but, you know, you're always eligible for some sort of reward normally. So if you know anything about what may have happened to Michael Rosenbloom? you can go ahead and do that. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins. Production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.